Jaden Campbell, how are you? Where are you? Or, as we have been taught to say in the native language of the Andes, Kichwa, I my nam kasanki, my pikanki. Well, you know, I, I would respond obviously in Kichwa, but I don't really want to alienate our listeners. <laughs> um, our statistics show that we don't have a lot of listeners, to be fair, in the Andean region yet. <laughs> So uh, there's, there's probably you know, a good hundred or so, but we just don't want the many thousands of you uh, in, the, in the wider world uh, to, to not understand. So look, I'll just keep it in English, keep it simple. Um, and um, I'm hot and steamy. <laughs> I am hot and steamy. We are down off the Andes, actually, down onto the coast uh, in a town, well, in a city, in Ecuador's biggest city. It's Guayaquil. And we're sitting in a little park alongside the Rio Solaro, which is the salty river here in uh, Guayaquil. And uh, it feels good. It feels good to be down on the coast, down on the Pacific, despite uh, the sweat. There's a, real, there's a real sheen on your forehead right now. <laughs> yeah, I'm uh, glowing gloriously. <laughs> Welcome to the How Are You, Where Are You podcast. It's an audio travelogue of our adventures by bike as we tirelessly and sprightly roll our way through Europe and Latin America on our way home to the Hutt Valley of New Zealand. And it's all in an effort to wind down after seven hard, grinding years in the city of London. In breaking news, we had one of the most traumatic days of our trip after the weather kind of closed in on us in the Andes the other day as we rode from Latacunga to Tigua. Oh, don't scorn on Tigua that hard, but it, yeah, it was a traumatic day. We started off in Latacunga, it was raining. I kind of delayed the start a little bit because I thought, oh, I don't want to go riding off in the rain. Meanwhile, the people of Latacunga were rejoicing. They hadn't seen rain in a couple of months. And uh, so they were really glad that it was happening. There's, there's a bit of a saying here in Ecuador that after a full moon, it always rains. No. Yeah. Dur- during the full moon, it doesn't rain. And then after the, the moon wanes. It's past or starting to yeah, wane. Then it rains. Yeah, then, then it rains. And our host Diego and Quito told us this. And I was like, ah, enough of your witch doctory. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, he turned out to be dead, dead right. And. <laughs> So, yeah, we rolled out of uh, Latacunga and it was like a, a busy Monday morning amongst the commuter traffic, all in the rain. And actually, one little thing happened to us, which was really strange. Well, not happened to us, but three cars. So we're heading over this bridge and we're on the right-hand side of this bridge. And um, a guy was you know, looking at how awesome we were or strong we were riding our bikes. Or how strange we looked. Or how strange we looked. And he plowed in uh, to the car in front of him, which in turn plowed into the car in front of her. And then, uh, yeah, this lady dressed up in like the whole traditional Quechua out- outfit got out of the car and she was like hammering on the guy's car. She was really in shock and upset, but yeah, there's nothing much we could do about that. We uh, just kept on riding and then, yeah, that was kind of an omen for the day, really. The climbing was okay because when you're, when you're climbing up a hill, if it's raining, if it's cloudy, it's, um, it's okay because you're, you're kind of warm. But the, the descents were really horrible. And once we got to the top, it was a 30k climb. It was so long and, yeah, really tiring. And it was a bit depressing because when the weather sets in on the mountains, you don't get 
the wonderful views. Mm. So we're like, oh, why are we doing this? What, what's the point of doing this? You just can't see anything. And people were still really friendly to us as we went by. And a, a couple of um, collective um, pickups, you know, where people are riding in the back of a ute, um, you know, they stopped and asked us if we wanted to lift. But no, no, we're, we're going to do it ourselves. Anyway, we, um, we sort of got to the top of the 30k climb and the weather just like clouded in even more. The rain started heavily. We were just getting soaked through. We hadn't probably chosen the best clothing. Um, yeah, so just it was all grey. We were um, really raining heavily. And yeah, and then we had to do the descent and that was when it started to get really horrible. Yeah, it was very upsetting i was really upset um because i i often have a problem with my hands where all the blood leaves my hands and they it's called reynard syndrome yeah i've got a syndrome that you've uh, found on google anyway uh, us sufferers we know what it's about uh, and yeah so i have really bad circulation in my hands and so my hands just turned into little blocks of numb ice and as we went down, obviously the wind chill factor was increased. And so I began sobbing aloud on the way down the mountain. I slowed us down. We were going about 10K an hour down the hill because any faster and it just got colder and colder. Um, and finally we pulled over. I thought I was going to vomit. Um, I was just 100% miserable and felt super sorry for myself. Yeah. Um, and so we had to stop. I just pulled my gloves off with my teeth and shoved my hands down my pants. Like, yeah. they were frozen. And, yeah. And I, Somehow I was trying to make myself warm by just hold the mic away a little bit while I do this. By go, <laughs> you know, like a horse or something. Yeah. But that sort of action just gives you, like, this little bit of warmth. that so shoots out the cold. You get a little bit of warmth for a while. Yeah. But yeah, it was, it was strange. I don't know why I was reacting like that. Yeah. It was so cold. We were like three and a half thousand meters up. No, probably more than that. And oh, I've just never felt like that on a bike. Yeah. Our whole bodies were trembling and yeah. we, we're just not that experienced in, in those sorts of conditions. Yeah. So remember, remember when I took off my gloves? My gloves were sodden, right? And I took them off and I had all this black on my hands. I was like, I'm... I mean, my first instinct was like, oh my God, is this frostbite on my hands? I was like, hold on, no, it can't be. This is, you know, it's not, not that, that, that cold. But basically the, the dye inside my gloves, my rougher winter gloves, yeah. um, they had leached onto my hands. But the weather, that took two days to come off. Despite me like cleaning my hands constantly going, I want to get this black crap off my hands. Yeah, and that's really weird. It was really bizarre. We we eventually warmed up enough after doing a bunch of star jumps that we later realised we were, we were being watched by a lady who was working up on the mountainside. She must have thought we were insane. So we jumped back on the bikes and we made it the rest of the way. It was only another 5k um, to a place called Posada de Tigua. And we thought, okay, yes, somewhere to stay. Let's just go. So you had to go down this rocky, muddy road and we reached the place. And as soon as we stepped inside, there was a wood-fired stove. There was art on the walls and antiques everywhere. We went, uh-oh. This is out of our budget. <laughs> but um, we spoke to the lady. She was so lovely. We paid $50 to stay there. Uh, it included a delicious dinner and breakfast. Um, well, you realize people have probably got 50 bucks. That's not a bad deal. So that normally we, would, we wouldn't really spend more than $12 on a night of accommodation if we were actually spending any money at all. So it's, it's a lot for us, but it was exactly what we needed. We were so comfortable. We set ourselves up next to the fire. We hung all our wet things over the fire. Oh, that was dream. 
Queen. She was making our dinner. We could smell it while we were sitting reading. We a had really a hot, hot, country kitchen. hot, hot shower. Um, really comfortable bed with like big thick blankets and in the morning an amazing breakfast and it just it just totally healed us and and also the other thing was the next morning we woke up to a beautiful sunny day yeah you couldn't get more you couldn't get more different and yeah it really changes the whole outlook on the day and like it was literally we went from probably one of our worst days on the trip it's really hard to recall though if can you think of another day that was bad as that i'm sure there have been yeah, I'm sure. but we just you know the life of the cycle tourist i guess that you you sometimes put these things behind you although now we've recorded this one for posterity it might <laughs> it might hang about in our minds a bit longer but literally we went to what we felt was one of the worst days of our trip the next day turned out to be one of the best So we've stepped off the bikes and into a gallery here in the Andes, uh, just in an area called Tigua. It's sort of a collection of around 33 little villages and the, the area is really on the map for their paintings. So there's this particular art style uh, associated with this area where they paint Andean village scenes on uh, sheepskin or cowhide. Is that right? Yeah, so... Um, They've been doing this for a while. There's one gentleman, uh, Julio Tokisa, who who um, whose paintings sell for over a thousand dollars. You know, very popular and ah, and he paints a lot on wood as well, apparently. And so what um, that's done is really created this economy here of art. And there are around 300 artisans painting uh, these particular Tigua artworks. Now we've stepped in. And we've chosen one that we quite like, that we want to like take home with us, and hopefully New Zealand lets us in with some uh, painting on the back of a sheepskin. I'm sure that's <laughs> fine. So what sort of scene have we got here, Shelley? Well, I was thinking maybe we could ask this kind gentleman. ¿Cuál es su nombre? ¿Cuál es su nombre? Soy Julio Toquisa Viga. Mm, mucho gusto. E explícame, ¿qué, ¿qué muestra esta pintura? Es uh, una coltora que donde tenemos... Tejedoría de puncho y la presada para cobijar en la cama. La heladora, una mujer indígena. Okay, so Shelley, what is he saying that's in this Andean scene? Okay, so what he's saying is that this shows the kind of industry around making ponchos and also covers for beds and things like blankets. So it's got some women who are weaving and it's got some women who are spinning wool that have come from Yama. Yeah, como si. It's a yamingo. Yamingo. Yeah, so, they call llamas yamingos. So, this is the, so we've got some animals. We've got a, a volcano, Cotopaxi, in the background that's got a bit of smoke coming out. It's the largest active volcano in the world, isn't it? Yeah, it's the highest active volcano in the world. And uh, este pintura es típico de la arte de Tigua. Arte de Tigua es un típico indígena del páramo Ecuador. Ah, so he was saying that uh, the art of uh, Tigua is very typical in the Paramos. So, estamos en los Paramos at the, in Paramo este momento. 3,700. Okay, so <laughs> after 3,600 meters, you're into the Paramo country, which we're pretty much in here at the moment. And this artwork is typical of what you see um, in the Paramos. So, it's a typical Paramo scene. Yeah, let's give the man his money, shall we? <laughs> Excellent. Señor, no hay firma en la pintura. Ah, no hay puesto la firma. Yeah, we need a signature. 
Is <laughs> too arte? Sí. Yeah. Ah, so he he actually painted it himself. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well let's get this all wrapped up and we'll send that home to New Zealand. It's going to be great in our little tiny house. I cannot think of a better reward than to be here after all the hard work of yesterday. La Laguna de Kilotoa. Um, is that, that's what it's called, right? Yeah, I think so. Uh, this is like a volcano, uh, Kilotoa. And then we're walking around the rim of what is effectively, <laughs> of what's effectively the, the crater lake. And the crater lake is about 400 meters below us. And it's this like blue, alkaline, alkaline blue is that, I mean is that a color no no is that like a chemistry thing mm, no <laughs> it just but it's changing it's... colors of blue yes isn't it so why does it do that chemist <laughs> well i'm not really that sure actually um i think it's something to do with the sulfur content of the water but yeah, um, they say it's not potable and you can't swim in there but people are canoeing out into the middle of the lake they look so tiny from up here. Yeah, it's incredible. You just see like little specks of red and white and people kayaking around the this enormous um, lagoon. And they say that it's about 250 metres deep. Yeah, although what? the locals think that it goes down forever. Really? Yeah, and uh, there's a lot of... Oh, I think um, you know, we made a good decision not to hike all the way down because... Um, there are some people walking back up and they are puffing heavily and some of their friends are at the top edging them uh, to go up the last stairs to the top. That girl just ran up there. Yeah, she ran. She had poles though. Yeah. She's not that tough. But yeah, I think it's a good idea for us not to walk down to the lake about 400 metres below us. No. We, you know, we've cycled enough today. The The surface of the lake is is so incredible. It's like watching the sky or like what I imagine it might be like to see the aurora borealis because the there are two colors in the lake there is a dark blue and then there is a turquoise blue and the turquoise blue shifts and changes and it sort of sweeps across the lake and moves and like right now it's quite it's mostly dark blue but just a few minutes ago it was almost all turquoise mm. and it's something to do with the sulfur content but we don't understand the chemistry behind it but it's almost like they're like clouds inside the water yeah, it's, it's stunningly beautiful, and isn't it amazing that you know yesterday was probably one of the worst days, you know, of our trip, yeah. and uh, today has been one of the best days. Yeah. And yeah, we've cycled up some beautiful mountains. We've come here as our reward to Laguna de Kilitoa, and oh, it's amazing. I mean, it's it's like two different worlds, you know. Yesterday yeah. it was bleak and beautiful, and today it was just the most beautiful bright blue sky and yeah. it was it really was like a different world and I'm so glad we got to see it yeah. sunny <laughs> it's actually truly awesome you know it's not like awesome when like you cook a boiled egg to perfection and you're like oh awesome <laughs> this is like whoa this is like a natural wonder awesome and the size of this lake the size of the crater rim that is truly awesome so the next day was our final one up in the Sierra and um, Baden reminded me numerous times that we have to enjoy this. This is our last day of climbing in the Andes. So I was like, okay, well, yeah, I'll enjoy it. All right. If 
feels a little sad that our little Ecuadorian Andean journey is coming to an end. And it's coming to an end because we're up at the top, another one of these ginormous road passes here in Ecuador. We're at 4,000 meters yet again, um, and a little village called Apagua. And uh, it's beautiful up here. And we've been lucky we had that terrible first day. It's been agony and ec ecstasy, really, up here in the, um, in, in the Andes, in this Paramo region. I'll talk to you about Paramo in a wee bit, but it's, um, it's we've just got such a clear day I, can you see a cloud in the sky Shelley? I, I can only see a cloud in the sky but it's way over some other hill, hill ranges way behind us and we can see we can see Cotopaxi the big volcano in this area it's because it's so clear we can see right across the region and well it's it's stunning and I can't believe how I've acclimatized as well I haven't been you found it a little bit tough haven't you Shelley? but I feel like I can breathe up here now, which is a bit strange, um, but it's beautiful. The, the people talk about the Andean patchwork quilt type countryside, it's totally true. And I think that's very characteristic of this Paramo. Now Paramo is a unique landscape to Costa Rica, Colombia, Ecuador, and I think probably Peru as well. And it's, uh, it's the land between the tree line and the snow line. There's no snow at this, at this, at this point, at this high road pass here. But um, it's kind of strange that there's no snow at 4,000 meters, right? <laughs> but that's because the sun, it's so hot. Well, it's not so hot, but it's so strong. And it's really like the ultraviolet rays, because we're near the equator, I think that's why it's so strong here. But when you look out across the landscape you know potatoes are growing in the countryside barley quinoa for all you hipsters that are like going to whole foods and filling up on quinoa and thinking how cool you are and stuff this this is where it's from this is where it all originated here in the ecuadorian andes and the tusky grass you know some of the potato fields are dug up so they're they're black and then but rows of um, other plants that you know, people have planted up here. This is what all makes up this Andean patchwork quilt um, of a countryside and I think it's beautiful, Shelley. Yeah, it's really beautiful. I mean, we um, passed through a town, uh, well, an area called Tigua and we bought some art from there. Um, and uh, it's, a, it's an art that's sort of got an unreal quality to it and it's, um, it features many of the things that Baden's just described about the Andean highlands here. And riding along today with the sky so blue and, and with the bright red and magenta and green scarves that the women wear against the wind that you can probably hear, uh, it kind of felt like I was riding through one of these paintings. And I had to remind myself that this is a very, very tough place to live for animals and trees and people. And it's not just a, a beautiful place for tourists to come and take photos of. It's somewhere that people, they work so hard and they have such tough conditions, um, especially the women. We've seen so many women in the fields hoeing things, herding sheep, you know, towing along a, a, a llama with a whole lot of stuff on the back, you know, plants and things. So it's, it's like you've got to remind yourself that it's not just a beautiful place to visit. It's a tough place to live as well. There's also like, so these women are also carrying babies on their backs. You know, I, I've seen far more women acting as shepherds in these fields than I have seen men. 
And, and these women are dressed so immaculately as well. They're dressed in the fields like they're dressed to go out to town. They're wearing um, sort of knee-length skirts with knee-length um, stockings coming up with kind of nice leather shoes and a, like a trilby hat, you know, sometimes even with a feather in it. And with, the, with long black plaited hair. And they're beautiful, aren't they? <laughs> it's, it's, um, and it's one of, I think it's just one of the typical things you see up here in the Paramo and the Ecuadorian Andes. You know, this style of clothing, style of land, style of countryside, style of cycling. Uh, it's amazing. But now we're heading down to the coast and we're, about, we're at 4,000 meters and I think we're going to be dropping about 4,000 meters. And that's going to feel really strange. And we were off, we were off down a, a 60 kilometer descent, which I think might be our longest. Now this is, this is what I think a really rare opportunity, which is to go from 4,000 meters above sea level all the way down to sea level in the span of one day, you know, over 60 kilometers. And it was, um, it was just an absolute joy. And it was one of those experiences that's really exhilarating, obviously, because it's a, it's a, wonderful descent with a nice smooth road um, but it was also another one of those experiences that just filled me with a sense of gratitude and and just happiness at being alive sorry um, i just had some grub crawling on me um in the park it's, it's lovely i think some of them are falling from the trees above us oh okay it was it looked like a tiny little hoo-hoo grub very small and just fell on me like it looked like a bit of larvae Lovely. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, it was, it was spectacular. Like, what were the transitions? I mean, we started up in the Paramo, um, and then we go down into the cloud forest, and then below the cloud forest, it was sort of... Um, so the cloud forest is where the trees got taller, um, the leaves got bigger, things turned from browns and greys to greens. Yeah. Um, there was a lot of moss, and obviously it was very cloudy. Yeah, exactly. And there were a lot of um, landslides because it's it been quite wet in the region in, in you know, the last uh, the few days previous. So, yeah, they were, the road was um, you know, had big rocks all over it, and yeah, it wasn't a hair-raising descent by any means. It was just but so it, just it was just so interesting. Drama, it, 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 yeah, and then when you got down to sort of like the agricultural, like the farm animal, uh, like dairy and things like that, you had the lush green grass from that, and then we we're like dropping more into a bit of a canyon and uh you know with really rushing um whitewater rivers uh but also i liked the way that for me i was i was looking at the plant life and we went from the paramo to the cloud forest and then you could just see the flowers starting to creep in yeah because up up at that those heights you know above sort of two and a half thousand meters there just aren't any flowers around yeah. and then all of a sudden we went through a little village and they all had gardens and it was yeah. like oh my god we're getting lower and we're, it was getting more humid and it was getting warmer and we had to take off our warmer clothes and then by that point we were surrounded by bananas yeah, like Ecuador is the biggest um, banana exporter, and yeah, you know, we went to a, went past a place that was selling six different types of bananas. It was awesome, <laughs> uh, even like red ones and things as well. So, um, yeah, it, it was it was a pretty magic descent. And when we rolled into the uh, Bomberos, the fire station in Quevedo that night, and asked for accommodation, we kind of had to sit back a little bit and reflect on. Yeah, how how interesting that day was and how we've got to remember this because it's not really going to happen again. 
Now, we had a few people um, kind of warning us about Guayaquil, the city in which we're sitting at the moment. And, kind of and warning like, us. Well, yeah, like saying that's a bit dangerous. And also some people, well, one person in particular told us it was a bit of a... S-hole. <laughs> uh, sorry to all the children listening. A bit of but a dive. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was that was our friend Gunnar from uh, Sweden. He said, "No, d- just just don't go to Guayaquil." And I was like, "I don't know. You're kind of stirring my little. Uh, I, I just kind of want to know for myself now." Yeah, I I think we've arrived in Guayaquil almost by accident um, yeah. because we are six days from our last resting point, which was where were we? Oh, Quito. Quito. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're six days from there. So it's it's like you need a rest after that. And I think maybe it was a mixture of apathy and laziness and and not looking for a particular place that caught our interest. It was just geographically the sort of obvious point to to take a to take a break so so we find ourselves here and we arrived yesterday um and the traffic was a little bit of a shock, yeah, no, there are three million people living here, and everyone drives their cars <laughs> like we we barely saw any cyclists and that's another thing that people have told us that the city you know it, it's starting to there we saw a few cycle lanes around town but um you know it's, it's slowly sort of turning itself into a modern city with cycle lanes and um you know big boardwalks and things like that and it, it is I mean, I think it's been underestimated by other people because we've quite enjoyed it. We found a really um, nice guy to stay with, Fabricio. And, yeah, hanging out in his place and then walking into town and meeting his friends in town last night. No dancing in a really cool cafe, uh, Cafe Cangrejo. And, yeah, beautiful fish dinners. Seafood down here is amazing. Like, um... But there's so much shrimp everywhere as well. Like shrimp is one of the big exports from Ecuador as well. So I've really enjoyed it. Yeah, and it's it's nice sitting here now as well. I think um, I'm not sure how much we're going to get to sort of sightsee, but we were being assured by everyone we met last night that we we were hanging out in the best part of Guayaquil. Um, so you know, I think for for a two night stay, we're not doing too badly. Yeah, the day is young. We can still get out there and check a bit more out. Yeah, uh, one thing that I find strange about this place is um, that people keep saying to us, oh, it's, it's winter time here. Um, and they call it winter time because it's the rainy, it rains a lot, right? But it's also the hottest time of the year. So that makes very little sense to me. I just, I was questioning Fabricio about this last night and he was like, yeah, that doesn't make sense. You're right. But they do, they call this winter and they call the slightly cooler and drier time of year summer. Yeah, it was really funny. We were saying to a guy the other night, um, oh, no, no, the guy was asking us, oh, what season is it in New Zealand at the moment? We're like, oh, it's summer. He goes, oh, how hot is it during summer? It was like, oh, well, it might get up to 30 or something. He goes, Oh, well, we have much hotter than that, and we call this winter. Yeah, so, uh, <laughs> yeah it's, it's a kind of a strange, yeah. strange little thing here. Another thing that's strange is that we're, in, we're at the coast. This is a port town, right? Yeah. Where's the sea? Yeah, I don't know. You have to try and point me to it. <laughs> it's, it's strange. Like there's a, it's, Maybe it's the Venice of Ecuador, but there's lots of rivers and things and inlets flowing through the city. We came over on the most enormous bridge. Oh, that bridge must have been at least 2k long. And, yeah, so the, the, the big port is here, obviously, but, uh, yeah, I don't know where the, the big wide ocean is. Mm. Um, 
But yeah, it is a city surrounded by water. Yeah, so this is what, the most commercial city in Ecuador? Yeah, I mean, and it's not the capital. So, you know, all the power and the culture resides up in the hills in, in Quito. And down here is where people come if they want to make a crust. Right. Uh, yeah, um, yeah, obviously this is a banana town. Cacao, we've seen lots of sort of uh, buildings talking about, you know, with a sign on the door, cacao exporter. Yeah, um, yeah shrimp, obviously. Yeah, so... Yeah, it's one of these cities there where it's attracted all the money and it's attracted the migrants and then the city has been sort of rushing to catch up ever since to like make a city out of that, make a livable city out of that. And yeah, yeah I mean, the, the guy we're staying with, Fabricio, he's an actor. He says the art scene here is fantastic. He's got a French girlfriend who's come here and set up a cafe and she just thinks, uh, she's just like so thankful that she's been able to come and live here and she just thinks her life is amazing so yeah i don't know it's um no it's one of these um cities that's starting to win us over yeah well we arrived actually on what they call la noche amarilla so it's when they have a big football match um and we don't know i know that barcelona was playing yeah, so and there are a lot of fans on the streets and people in buses, you know, yeah. chanting and waving flags. So Lionel Messi and Luis Suarez weren't in town, but yeah, they 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 have a um uh, their their main football club in the town is called Barcelona, and where we're staying, there's a ninety thousand seat stadium, and the fans were like, um, all you no know, piling in, all wearing their yellow shirts, and the logo is looks to me to be the same as Barcelona. Except I think they call themselves Sporting Club Barcelona. Barcelona Sporting Club. Yeah, Barcelona Sport, yeah, BSC. Whereas um, the Barcelona in Spain is Football Club Barcelona, FCB. Ah, Yeah, so it's... um, The reason is apparently Fabricio is telling us that lots of people from Catalonia came came here to the city at some point in the past. And they all got together and created this club. Yeah, so yeah, they're, they're, no, they're nowhere near as good, but they did win last night, and so yeah, the celebrations were going on long into the night. Welcome to another What's in the Pot live special from Guayaquil in Ecuador. <laughs> and today we are making ceviche. I don't know, do other people have a weird pronunciation in other countries? We call it ceviche in Londres as well? I think sometimes people say ceviche. Yeah, ceviche, but it's actually ceviche. Let's let's get it real, guys. And uh, so ceviche, we've seen it a lot here on the coast, especially when we came to Guayaquil. And I've always kind of wanted to make it. We went to a uh, market the other day in Quevedo, and we saw the uh, fish and the prawns and the well, the shrimp as they sort of call it here all lined up or the camarones all lined up and then on the side of the fish market you could buy all the vegetable ingredients for your ceviche so we're talking onions uh, pepper uh, cucumber uh, tomatoes lime or, or lemon and uh, and so I was like okay this looks like it's makeable and so i thought okay let's revive what's in the pot for this and so this morning shelly was in the shower and uh through the shower window she heard a guy walking down the street calling like camarones camarones pescados camarones 
And, well, it wasn't quite in that sort of accent. It was more a costeño, very uh, a thick accent that people from the coast have. And she was like, I think that guy was calling out for camarones. Baden, get out there, buy camarones. At that time, I was in bed. So I, I had to get out, out of the scratcher and like run down the street with some money. And the guy was down the corner and he had um, a little uh, fly swat getting all the flies off his, uh, off his camarones. But he assured me they were fresh. And uh, so they cost uh, $5 for a pound. And uh, he threw in some extras as well because I gave him a few extra smiles. And yeah, came back, wrapped them up in some newspaper and came back here. And we're like, okay, let's go get the ingredients. So we came back, and then now we're working here with uh, our friend who we're staying with in Guayaquil, Fabricio's mum, and uh, she's sort of uh, taken over the what's in the pot duties and is <laughs> chopping up all the all the veggies. She um, peeled back the shrimps, cut the spines open, and there's little shrimp guts. I didn't know about this, but uh, yeah, so it's quite important and so we've got those the camarones obviously you need to cook your shelf shellfish people don't be selfish cook your shellfish and <laughs> and uh so we've got that on the boil uh well not on a boil like a slow boil maybe for like five minutes or so less than 10 she assures me less than 10 or else they get too hard and rubbery and then with that boiling it with a couple of sprigs of coriander it's all very professional here on what's in the pot today and and also in water with sugar, uh, we've got the onion, the saboya, the red onion in particular. And, uh, and the idea for that is to um, make it less bitter when you have it, because the salad needs to taste all nice and fresh. So at the moment, we're assembling all the ingredients, getting uh, all the, the veggies into the bowl. And soon, we'll be ready to like whip it all together, and then we can taste it. Right, we're doing the final sort of mixing together of all the ceviche ingredients and like the old uh, the cat out of the bag for this one. We've been told to include orange juice in it. So I uh, dispatched myself quickly around to the corner and bought the only orange left in the neighborhood. Orange here, oranges here, meanwhile, everyone, are green, FYI. Um, <laughs> it's a bit of a strange thing. So yeah, we're just squeezing the orange and then we're getting ready to mix it all in. Other developments have been happening. So you know the uh, the the sort of the juice that we're cooking the prawns in. Some of that juice has actually gone in the ceviche mix. Uh, what else have we got here? Uh, we're just pouring in the orange juice into that. Oh, another th cheeky little thing that happened was that um, with the prawn juice also went a little bit of tomato sauce just sort of squeezed in there for the mix um we've got coriander and dill the onions um that's all been drained off um rinsed rinsed all out and uh put in there as well anything else Charles? uh a, quite a generous pinch of salt oh yeah i mean we're talking seafood here it comes from the sea you need some salt and look get a bit of that action just mixing all that up together So yeah, let's just recap ceviche, you know, this is like a, a fresh fish salad, essentially. Fresh fish salad, if you say it quickly. And um, 
can I add, with quite a soupy element. Yeah, it's, it is very soupy, and this is what happens, like, you know, when, when we've been down on the streets in um, Guayaquil and we had a, a, a bit of a ceviche the other night, had a very strong uh, juice component, and what you can do sometimes is have a bit of bread or uh, a bit of uh, dry cracker with it as well. So, now it's time to taste. Is, is la hora para sabor? Is el tiempo? Is listo, todo listo? Okay, it's all ready to go. Time to eat it. Mm. Okay, this is good. Que bueno. This is very nice. The prawns is a bit unusual. Um, es, un, es un poco extraño porque uh, los camarones are, son un poco caliente. Normalmente no. So normally the prawns aren't so warm, but I think it's still extremely delicious. And I'm quite proud of uh, what uh, little role I've had in making this What's in the Pot live <laughs> You're special. I'm proud of Fabricio's mum for making this. Yeah, I think uh, she's done largely a great job. Um, obviously didn't think I was sufficient enough to be in her kitchen alone making something like this and I think she's vastly improved it as a I result. Also you should uh, let our listeners know that her kitchen doesn't have really much room for two people. Yeah it's a it's a small galley and we'll take a picture of that and put it on our uh, on our website with the blog and to drink on the side no we're not having a beer we're not having a, a crisp glass of Chardonnay or Pinot Grigio no instead we are having homemade lemonade and yeah, that was all squeezed with the leftover limes and lemons that were used and like fistfuls of sugar was being put into that as well, all blended in. And the sum result is that our lunch is going to be delicious. So this is another What's in the Pot live special from Guayaquil, Ecuador. We're back on the bikes early tomorrow morning and we are... On our way to Peru, Baden. Yeah, we thought Sunday morning is probably a good time to try and leave Guayaquil. Um, people generally rest on a Sunday here, like actually don't go out. So that seems like an ideal time to ride our bikes out, uh, out of the city. And yeah, heading towards Peru. Um, we'll probably be talking to you next time being in Peru. It's about 250-odd K to the border. And uh, we'll also get to see the coast. <laughs> I'm sure we'll be uh, riding uh, slightly closer to the coastline and it sounds like there's a lot more interesting things to see along the way so yeah really looking forward to spending you know last few days in Ecuador you're mostly looking forward to the crab yeah <laughs> yeah it is really all about the seafood I mean to be honest I mean I've been really pining it I mean I've enjoyed the food here in Ecuador but there's only so much you know, roast beef and um, no grilled beef, grilled chicken, grilled pork. grilled pork with rice and beans that you can handle. And so, if, if I can start getting more seafood on the plate, yeah. um, I, I feel like I need and deserve that change. <laughs> I think that's our podcast done for this episode. Thank you very much for listening. Of course, we'd love to know how you are and where you are, and you can get in touch with us on our blog, How Are You, Where Are You dot com. You can post a comment underneath. Uh, the podcast we've also got a lot of photos underneath each podcast so if you if you've enjoyed the stories you can see some of the images from our from our journey you'll find links to subscribe to our podcast on the blog as well itunes and soundcloud um, our interactive map is basically completely up to date now this is a map that you can click on 
and you can see a daily diary that we've written and where we've stayed and how much we've paid and all that kind of thing. So if you've got any interest in any of the countries in which we've travelled, you can go on there and click around and see what we've done. And we'll, we'll have a map of um, where we've ridden in the last week. So yeah, you can basically download that onto your devices and ride it yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we, I've also got a, a new blog on there uh, about our time in Pasto. Um, and we, we love feedback, so please just, just jump on and, and post a comment. We've had a few comments from new listeners lately, and we just love it. It just really, um, it just really lifts our spirits, and, and it's, it's, a, it's a nice experience. So hop on and put a, put a message on there. Look, uh, our friend Kelly will definitely send us oh, messages. Yeah, yeah. Hers, hers are awesome. Yeah, thanks, Cal. Keep it up. <laughs> we also um, had a, a wonderful thing happen. Our friend Maldo from... Um, from Sevilla, he wrote uh, a little piece about our time there, our Christmas with him, and popped it on the Warm Showers website. And a lot of people have been enjoying reading it. His his English is great, and he did a wonderful job. And um, we were we were both really touched. Yeah, um, if, you can read it yourself. Um, if you look uh, if you look on my Twitter feed, my Twitter feed is on the side of our blog, and I put a link to um, what he wrote, uh, which was really touching, <laughs> on 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 my Twitter feed at Baden C. So uh, yeah, have have a look at that. Thanks as always to Callum Campbell for the original music on the podcast. Uh, as Baden said, he's on Twitter at Baden C or Instagram Baden Cycling. I think is that everything, Bay? Yeah, I think uh, you've uh, routed off the list. Yeah, check out. We we doing photos to match the blog. So um, yeah, if you go to howareyouwhereareyou.com, you can see little montages that we put together, all shot on our amazing uh, Motorola. Moto G. What are they called? Moto G cameras. <laughs> I mean, I think we've got half a megapixel on those. So it's like the phone of a thirteen-year-old girl, isn't <laughs> yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think we've really captured it in an uh, HD full color. We, we should also say um, when we were in Quevedo, we met up with a cycle tourist, Nicolas. So a shout out to Nicolas. And he has the most beautiful camera and he was showing us photos of volcanoes that he'd taken. Oh my God, it put our photos to shame. But we capture the spirit, right, babe? <laughs> I, I, I guess you could call it that. <laughs> well, thank you so much for listening and we'll catch you next time. Ciao. Bye. Bye.